Boop. No intro today? All right, we might be happy. Being glitchy, up. one second. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a, the excitement of live broadcasting. Never know what's going to happen. Um, I'm just going to go ahead with it, and then if it pops on, it pops on. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Toxicology. Um, I am your usual co-host, Jason Cabello. Hello and welcome to another episode of Toxicology, brought to you by Recovery Unplugged. Here at Toxicology, we talk all things addiction, recovery, and mental health. Tonight's guest, addiction professional Ian Jackson. I'm your co-host, Jason Cabello, and as always, your host and mine, Joseph Gorordo. Okay, there, there we go. All right, so... As I was saying before, I was rudely interrupted by our <laughs> there. Joseph Gerardo just checked in. So, um, yeah, Joseph Gerardo is not here today. Um, it's going to be just me. Joseph is out there in the trenches saving lives. Um, he's out there, you know, doing what he does as the vice president of, of operations for Recovery Unplugged. Um whatever that entails he's out there you know doing god's work he's actually at south by southwest i can't lie um he's at south by southwest but hey man joseph works really hard all joking aside joseph works incredibly hard and this is the first south by southwest that's happened in austin in the last couple of years so joseph had the opportunity to go he of course um, you know, asked me and Greg and everyone else if, you know, if we minded and we said, no, please go, Joseph, enjoy yourself. Um, we hope you're having a great time. And he's actually doing some investigative journalism for toxicology. So tune in next week and you'll see, uh, we'll have a little piece of Joseph hitting the streets at South by Southwest. Um, I'm a little lonely up here. I know you're busy behind the scenes, Greg. You mind you mind chiming in for a couple minutes here to uh so it's it's jibber jabber and not just jibber. I'll be happy to be your jabber, Jace. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um yeah, so you know we're here in Austin, Texas, Greg, Joseph, and myself. And um, you know, it's the first South by Southwest in a couple years. Oh, before I get to that. Happy St. Patrick's Day, y'all. Oh, um, yeah. That's happy St. Patrick's Day. You don't have to go out there and, and drink a ton of green beer and, and make your life a mess. And um, I saw a meme today that said um, St. Patrick's Day is just 420 for alcoholics. And I, I see my mom is on there, Nancy Mraz, and she would always call um, she would always call St. Patrick's Day amateur night. And it was the night that, you know, you'd go out there and everybody who usually does it, who can't handle their, their drinks is out there doing it to, to, to the best of their ability. And hello, Lisa Pascarosa. Thank you for choosing, ch chiming in. We love you, Lisa. Um, Lisa's great. Greg, so you are, so both me and Greg are not native Texans. And, you know, Greg, when have you been to South by Southwest before? Yeah, once. And ironically enough, it was indeed with Joseph Gerardo as well. Um, he, uh, it, it, South by always falls on my birthday. Um, at least my uh, birthday usually right. falls within that window. And uh, when I was uh, when I was still doing alumni work here at Recovery Unplugged, uh, Joseph thought I would be a good fit to go. And by no complaints on my end, uh, it was a whole work day and we just watched live music all day and set up an outreach booth and Got to meet a bunch of really cool people. It was awesome. That's rough, man. Yeah, right. Recovery Unplugged <laughs> really treats their employees terribly. Mm -hmm. um, no, that's great. And I actually went to my first South by Southwest event last night, and it was fucking phenomenal. Oh, I yeah? had the best time. And I know that I, I've talked on here about like that I don't really enjoy music festivals. And South by Southwest isn't like a traditional music festival where you're out there and open and you're, there's just, a you know, a couple of 
stages where you could go see various bands. It's like downtown Austin and the surrounding area just turns into, you know, everything is turned into a music venue. And I went to a church downtown and they had a, they had a showcase there and um, the band Perfume Genius played and it was one of the best live shows I've ever seen. It was it was absolutely fantastic. So I'm really happy that I got to experience my first South by Southwest by living here in Austin because, you know, back home in Florida where I moved here from, I never I never got to experience anything like that. Do you have anything like that in Jersey? No. Where that <laughs> No, man. I mean, we had Warp Tour would come to town every uh every summer, but but that was about it. Um uh, we didn't have yeah, any yeah. recurring festivals of the sort. All right. Well, I appreciate you you hopping on, Greg. And and like I was saying, I, I moved here from Florida uh a couple of years back and I went through Recovery Unplugged in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And part of the recovery team there who helped me become the the shining example of recovery that I am today is our guest who is none other than Mr. Ian Jackson. Ian, welcome to the show, man. Hello, Jason. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Oh, it's getting dark there in uh in you're in Georgia, right? Yep, yep. Uh actually in Georgia right now. Um I don't know if you could see the Yep, you definitely can't see the beautiful view, but just no, trust me dark. when I say it's beautiful. Yeah, man, Ian, thank you. Um, and and everybody, Ian is on vacation, and he agreed to do this on 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 his time off, or he should be hanging out with his family. But you know, he he he's one of those guys always says yes to anything you ask him. Um, I love him very much, man. He he was he was part of the recovery team. He wasn't my primary therapist at Recovery Unplugged, but he was part of the team and he ran many groups that I was in. And Ian is one of the few. So every every therapist that I've ever met or worked with in any capacity at any treatment center has always made a difference, but Ian is one of those people who if a client was having like a really bad time, like they would only want to talk to Ian. Like Ian was that guy that, you know, he, he had such a special connection with so many people and has touched so many lives. And, you know, he, he's here to talk about, you know, the, the current world has changed quite a bit. And so is the face of treatment. And Ian is now spearheading recovery unplugged virtual services which gives somebody the option who might not make it to to come to a 30 day treatment program. Um, and yeah, Ian is is taking charge of that. So, Ian, man, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, before I do that, firstly, um, you know, I just want to say I'm really proud of you, Jason, for just where you've come um, and, and where you came from and where you're at right now. I mean, it's really a beautiful thing when I'm able to help somebody and impact their life in some way. And then, you know, then they're a coworker, right? Um, right. Then that goes for you and Greg, of course. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's just, I'm really, really passionate about what we do here at Recovery Unplugged. And uh, I believe in it, which is, which makes it easy to do and which makes it easy to be involved. It's I've been with the company now for going on seven years. And um, I love it. So, but the newest thing that, that we've been doing, and, and it's not so new now because we've been doing it now since July of 2021, is offering virtual services, virtual outpatient services at Recovery Unplugged. And the idea really came from one of the biggest reasons that telehealth even existed in the first place pre-COVID. You know, and this is even before COVID. Telehealth services already existed, you know, in our world, but it just became so prevalent when the pandemic came along, um, because right. I think that especially in the addiction world, almost everybody was impacted by this when it came from meetings being shut down, therapists not seeing people in person, outpatient treatment centers not seeing people in person. And I'm a firm believer that in nothing really can be the in-person connection between um, individuals, right? Right. But even, you know, me being in Georgia and you being in Austin and just seeing you on the screen, it feels like we're in the same room together. So you're still yeah. able to create 
that connected experience, which is what we're aiming for. Were you about yeah, to say something? And, you know, I was just going to say things have changed so much over the past couple of years and, and what communication is like, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, I remember back before, before COVID, maybe I'd have one zoom call a week with like a, a team that was, that was in, in different locations. And now it's like five, six, seven, you know, five, six, seven a week. And, and even, you know, you watch, you watch television shows talk shows and you see that most people are are doing everything via zoom so why not be able to to help people because there are people who simply cannot take the 30 days that it takes to go to an inpatient treatment facility whether it be for work family um tons of options so who, who do you think that that the virtual services are for who do you think this would impact the most when it comes to looking at who it impacts the most we're really looking at you know look at the benefits alone just of, of telemedicine um across the board um there's no transportation right there's no time or cost of transportation there's no need to take any time off of work there's uh you know you have child care you know you're able to actually be home and take part in telehealth services and be able to take care of your children I mean, it, it's basically on demand in 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 a sense of the word, right? Um, right. I mean, it, and also too, if you're looking at the pandemic, it's also less less chance of a spread of an illness as well because you're doing this from the comfort of your own home. And the biggest piece, and really was the biggest reason why we created this, was when we kept having people in our Nashville facility go home to areas of Tennessee that are extremely remote. Um, and right. I can only really uh, bring up one remote area of Texas just because my geography is not that good. But I, from what I hear, Amarillo, Texas is pretty remote. And we okay. have had many clients from that area as well who are just going home from treatment and they just, you know, the nearest meetings 30 to 45 minutes away or, or all the th uh, therapists in their area are 30, 45 minutes away. And sometimes that's just really not feasible for people. This right, created right. feasibility, access, connection to be able to experience recovery unplugged from the comfort of your own home. And, and really just for tele telehealth medicine in general, this allows people to experience, you know, the services that they would normally receive from the comfort of their own home. You know, like I said, that in person is always going to be our our best and number one option. But but um, that's really who we were creating this for. We're trying to capture that audience of people who, you know, um, struggle with the things identified earlier. Right, right. So Nancy Mraz, my mom asked if I would have been open to doing this. And, you know, <clears throat> I'm not sure that it, it may have. I'm not sure that it would have worked for me. Personally, I think I needed to be there um, completely immersed with the groups and having the community there because, you know, I, I I'm I'm such a such a social animal. You know, I am just mm -hmm. like I'm like a pack animal like I, I thrive in, in the community. So, you know, is it fair to say that the virtual services might not be for everyone? Um. Yes, I, I think I think you could make that general statement. But then, you know, me being who I am is I would always come back with some type of small rebuttal like this. Right. You say you're in many Zoom meetings each week now. Right. And I imagine there's some people in those meetings that you look forward to seeing, hopefully. Correct. Yeah, I have a which, good team, which yeah. just which just shows the ability to experience that connection. So. If it comes to, you know, if I could use the example that you're still doing your job effectively with your team through telehealth, you know, and through virtual, then I could make the argument that, yes, maybe it could work for you now. But back then, right, you know, because I see some of the comments, you know, Maggie is talking about, you know, the isolation that's created an addiction. I agree with that piece. When you're going back home alone, um, it's tough, you know, because, yeah, that person is still potentially alone but they're jumping on to that that virtual experience with those people so i agree with the statement that it may not be i would say this it's it may not be the best option for everyone but i do think that it could potentially work 
shit, man. I think I just had a breakthrough there. That's why Ian's so good at what he does. Here I am thinking, like, yeah, this wouldn't work for me. And Ian talks me into it. And so it's like, give it a chance, Jason. You know, this is that's why he's so good at what he does, man. But, yeah, so I, I just want to talk to you a, a little bit about Ian as a man. Um, just Ian as a person, man. And, and what Let's go for what it. a cool guy he is to uh, to be around. I know a couple of things about you. You're, you're extremely competitive. Um, a little bit. Whether it be ping pong, basketball, skateboarding, anything like that. So uh, uh, one of my favorite Ian stories is me and, you know, my, my cool guy friends were hanging out outside of Recovery Unplugged one day waiting for, for uh, IOP to start. And we had our skateboards. We had just can, gone back from going skating all day. And I forgot what the bet was. But Ian, Ian wanted to get me to do something. And he was just like, if I could do a kickflip. Will will you go ahead and do it? I don't know if it was apply for a job somewhere or go to a meeting or something like that. And me and my friends are just like, yeah, look at this guy. And Ian could fucking skate, man. Ian Ian was um, he he really surprised me on how good he was. I shouldn't have been surprised knowing about how how competitive he is and that he's pretty much good at everything he picks up. But you know that that's another thing about you know we were. You were my therapist and then a co-worker and then we became friends and we actually went out skating a couple of times mm -hmm. and, you know, actually got to hang out. And that that's the kind of stuff that, you know, that's what community is for me. Like I would have never had these experiences if it weren't for going to treatment. Um, but, yeah, like you said, you could you could still make these connections um, virtually and then, you know, it might might prompt somebody to when they get a chance to go somewhere and meet some of their um you know, meet some of their, their fellow people in recovery or in, in their groups to go out and meet at a meeting or something like that and to just expand their, their network a little bit more. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, when you bring up the competitive piece, where that channels in to delivering therapy services and delivering services to clients is, you know, sure, we got the virtual IOP started, right? And it was, you know, we were having groups, the clients were feeling connected. And then it was then, now it's, okay, how are we going to make it better? Okay, all right, all right, we got that piece done. How are we going to make this even better? How are we going to create a just amazing experience and impact on people, which is, which is the biggest thing that we're aiming for is how can I impact somebody's life? Because I know from working in treatment for the last 12 years that every single client is unfortunately is not going to stay sober. But one right. thing that I know um, based on what I'm going to do and what my team's going to do is we're going to impact that person's life regardless, regardless of whether they stay clean or not after they leave our program. I know for a fact their life will be impacted, which might lead to them wanting to get sober again down the line. Um, and and that's tough. I, I, right. I know and I'm not living with this relapse mentality, but. You know, what we're really trying to do is just make this better and better and better to try to just create this massive impact where people look forward to this. Yeah. So Riley Osborne, what's up, Riley, asked, is it hard for people to connect through a screen? Mm. Well, Riley, that's a good question. I'd say this. Um, you know, the, the example, I'm not sure if you listened to the example earlier that we talked about with Jason. Um connecting and, and I'll, I'll give a different one just to, just for the because I like the challenge right I'd yeah. say this when COVID began everyone who knew how to use a phone or computer began jumping on zooms with their family members their college buddies their high school friends every single week some every day and it was almost leading to a higher level of connection than they already had over the phone or the, the connection that they had you know, because when I look at, you know, I could give speaking from a personal experience that I have a lot of friends that I stay connected with from college. The minute COVID hit, one of my friends started a Zoom group that we all sat on every week um, at the end of the week on Friday. Everybody just kind of just, you know, checked in and just, you know, just shooting the shooting the stuff. I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss on here, Jason. but Yeah, yeah, you are. You're it's OK. Yeah. So <laughs> on this Zoom and what. The funny thing is that, you know, we all lived in different states, so it's not like we saw each other that often. And now we're seeing each other every single week. 
So, you know, without to be extremely long-winded answering this question, Riley, I'd say absolutely yes. Um, the, the proof is in the pudding. Almost, uh, I bet a lot of people that are watching this right now, I mean, the, if you've watched this for more than five or ten minutes, you, you already gained a connection to a screen, if we want to call it that. Um, we already drew you in a little bit, you know, and that's, that's not necessarily the goal. It's just that's what happens. If something relates to you, you draw in with it, you know, and for our clients, we're uh, talking about subjects of that are just incredibly relative to their lives. So I'd say yes, in a longest version I could possibly give you. Okay. And Maggie asked, what specifically is the most rewarding part of working with people through a clinical lens, Ian? That's a good question. Um, I would say... You know, it's, I think every therapist out there knows that they will personally benefit from providing benefit to other people. I'd say for me personally, the most rewarding part of working with people through a clinical lens is getting people to just see a different perspective is, is my biggest, for me, that's, that's the part about that I like it the most, as far as when it comes to clinical is getting people to just, you know, like you're at the eye doctor and just pop on a different lens just for a second, just to look at life differently. Just like when Jason and I were talking about, you know, I don't know if this would have worked for me. And then I'll say a few things just to have him just, okay, let me take a different look at that. You know, I, look, I was looking at it one way, but now I'm going to look at it this way. Yeah. And just, just when somebody gets that willingness to be like, I don't know if I believe it's going to work, but you know what? Like I trust you and I'll give it a shot. Like, I know for me, once I hit that point in my recovery, it just seemed like things got so much easier when I was trying to just, when I stopped fighting it, you know, when I'm just, and I think that was the most important thing for me when, cause it wasn't like, and I, I know I've mentioned this on the show before that it wasn't like I had this big epiphany moment where there was like a ray of light that came through the window and I was on my knees praying and it was like, I'm going to, I'm going to stay clean this time. I know it. It was just my little, you know, the, my, my changes of attitude. Like, you know what? I, I obviously am in treatment for the 20th time because I can't get my shit together. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm 42 years old. I don't have a bank account. I don't have a driver's license. I don't have, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And that's scary as hell. So it's like, it, it took a little bit of weight off to find people who I trusted like yourself in the professional realm. And then, you know, with my, my 12 step sponsor and a couple of people who have been through it before and just been like, you know, here, here's all my dirt. I'm going to lay it out to you. You guys help me sort it out, you know? And, and it was just, it, it was, you know, I, I, I can't, it was just, it was such a relief. I felt so much lighter. It was liberating. And it's like, I, I could imagine you when you see like a client that comes in, who's kind of just not in a good place in their life and just, you know, you don't know if this one's going to get her or not. And then you just see something change in them all of a sudden and they're this different person and they're, they're being a little bit more humble than just taking what you say, you know, maybe with a grain of salt, but they're taking what you say, you know, that, that mm -hmm. must be just an amazing feeling. I love it. Honestly. I mean, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's what keeps me going. Um, you know, it, it's just, you know, I, I don't, you know, sometimes I've had people ask, how are you not burnt out from doing this for so long? And I don't necessarily really know an exact answer to that question. Um, I can understand how that happens to people uh, when, it, when it does happen and I see it, but I, I just can't personally relate, not saying, not to say I'm better than or anything like that. It's just, um, I think when you're doing something that you're passionate about and you feel purpose in it, it doesn't feel like work or, or it doesn't take you uh, doesn't drain your soul per se. Okay. Yeah. So Ryan Spencer asks, what are the pros and cons of VIOP versus IOP? And, and first of all, for, for somebody who might be listening, who doesn't understand exactly what we're talking about, what is IOP? So IOP stands for intensive outpatient program. And the VIOP part would be virtual intensive outpatient program. So, as far as the pros and cons of VIOP versus IOP, when it comes to virtual services, we're looking at the ability to provide care to people 
um, that may have mobility limitations um, or people that are in rural rural areas that don't have access to services. They don't have enough time or money to transport themselves to a program. They need to take care of, care of children or they can't get off their work early to make it there. You know, when it, when it comes to outpatient programs, IOPs, technically, usually they're either from 6 to 9 p.m. or, or 9 to 12 during the day. Um, and for some people's work schedule, neither one of those work, right? Right. Can you guys still hear me? Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Hold on a second. Okay. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll edit this part out, Greg, before it goes live. Got that 10-second uh, that window. But thanks, y'all, for, uh, for chiming in with this. Ian's still giving me the one second, so I'm going to kill a little bit of time here. Um, yeah, such a great question. Yes, we hear you. I'm just reading these out loud. So you can hear me, um, but I can't hear you? Yes, yeah. Okay. Can't hear Should me I at just a... talk anyway. Okay. Please. Let's do that, and then I'll I'll figure that out in a second. <laughs> um. Oh, I can hear you now. There we go. We're back. Perfect. Yeah. So, like I said before, with the with the pieces of um, transportation, taking time off from work, um, childcare issues. I mean, people that are potentially um, scared of, you know, catching the COVID. I mean, and also just. Take your person who has extreme social anxiety, who doesn't really, you know, function well with going around a large group of people. They're not necessarily going to be, you know, so excited to jump into that setting. Um, and when you look at the IOP, intensive outpatient versus the virtual option, the only difference really that I see is just that it's in person. You're just in person. Right. You're, you're, you're in that experience um, physically. But really, in, in from a when you look at VIOP, it's still you're still physically there. You're still physically getting on the Zoom, seeing the people, letting them see you, just as Jason could see me and I could see him, and just as anybody who's watching can see us as well. You're still doing that, so I don't see a massive amount of difference, except for the where you physically are during that during that session. Good question, though, Ryan. And. and, and what about somebody who might need to detox and they're in a rural area or um, might not be able to to get to something easily? What, what is what is the standard practice for that now with BIOP? So uh, potentially if somebody needs to detox, I mean, what we're going to recommend is they go to a higher level of care. Um, that's going to look like an actual detox facility if it needs to be a hospital whatever it may be, because, I mean, that person is now presenting a high risk for themselves. Um, detoxing yourself from home is never something that we're going to recommend, um, nor is it something yeah. that we ever see that, you know, ever see that potentially works. I mean, there's there's every now and then a person does it and, and it's scary. And I, I've talked to people that have done it, but it's never going to be something that we recommend or support. Right, right. So, yeah, on the, on the opposite end of the spectrum to what we were talking about before, um, you know, the best part of your jobs. I know one of the hardest part of your jobs is, you know, when you have somebody or you, you see their disease, what, whatever you want to call it, their addiction is just kind of running the show. And, you know, this person's life is in jeopardy. And, you know, Lisa Pascarosa jumped on. Um, a little bit earlier, and Ian was in a short documentary that I did about uh, my friend Justin Enoch, who is Lisa Pascarosa's son, who 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 lost his battle with addiction, and it, it ultimately happened by him trying to detox himself at home. Um, he had struggled with 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 heroin and opiates for many years. And then alcohol became his biggest issue. He was isolating. He was drinking a lot at home and decided to detox himself and to, to ease the discomfort from getting off of alcohol, he decided to get some, some pain medication off the street, some pain pills. They turned out to be counterfeit. They had, they were, they had all types of fentanyl in them and, you know, it took his life. So, you know, it, it's very important to, 
to not take that part of it into your into your own hands. You know, for, for these things, you definitely need medical treatment on. Um, yeah, Ian, if you could talk about the the hard part of your job, which I'm I'm sure would it you know it can't get much harder than that. Seeing somebody who's just such a light in the world, um, yeah. whose addiction just is is so powerful. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'll never forget Justin Enid, ever, um, because Justin and I had the privilege of being able to work with Justin one on one many times, have many groups with him, have um, just ex extreme amount of one on one talks. I mean, I was always involved. I mean, even when he, uh, you know, when he was doing well and when he wasn't, um, I'd say this. Um, Justin was probably one of the, you know, extremely intelligent and probably one of the most talented musicians I've ever come across, um, working at recovery unplugged. And it's just a thing. And I, and I probably had this exact conversation with Justin is that unfortunately knowledge and intelligence doesn't beat addiction. Um, uh -huh. action and faith is what is what helps a person sustain their addiction and move into recovery. And he experienced, right. and I, and here's the thing. I got to witness him do that as well. I got to witness him do well. I got to witness him not do well. Um, one of the hardest parts of the job is, is seeing someone who just has these just massive and massive amounts of potential and can, can live and, and such a beautiful life and impact the world in so many different ways with the skills and talents that they have. And, not have the ability to do so or they're just so deep into the grips where you know they'll look me in the face and say ian you're right i know i know but i just can't get myself there right now and i, I right. get it and i get it and that's that's the toughest piece is it's you know what we do not just me you know really all the people at recovery unplugged all the staff, you know, from the top to bottom, you know, from the executive directors to uh, techs, to maintenance, to nursing, to medical, to doctors, to therapists, everybody is working um, to try to impact someone's life and change their minds. So the hardest piece is seeing um, is seeing that happen. And um, and it's incredibly sad, not just for that person, but for their family. Um, Lisa, I see on here, you know, my heart goes out to you and your family and Justin is an amazing human being. Yeah, I was able to go out. Um, I, I went back to Florida a couple weeks ago and um, me and my girlfriend, we actually brought some of Justin Ash, Justin's ashes out there and we, we brought him to the beach right near, uh, right near where the halfway house in Fort Lauderdale was where we used to go all the time and, you know, got to, got to sprinkle a little bit of Justin's ashes there and it just, the, the lives that have been lost since I've been in treatment that I've known, I don't think many people are left from the group that I was in. Um, Erica Murphy, myself, Mike Demchek, um, maybe a few others, but we lost so many people. And, you know, like, like I was saying with Justin's case, that the fentanyl um, that's just showing up in, in everything. I mean, on the news the other day in Fort Lauderdale, some spring break kids thought they were getting a bag of cocaine and they were going to do, you know, a little bit of coke and go out and party. And then they all overdosed. I, I'm not sure that they, I don't wow. think any of them died, but I know that at least five of them went to the hospital and one of them wasn't even doing it, was just exposed to the fentanyl. So are, are you seeing a lot of increased cases with, with fentanyl? Is it different to, to treat than, than other street drugs? Yeah, it, it is just because of its potency and strength. You know, um, you're never really going to know exactly what you're going to get these days. So it's, it's, you know, me shooting out the, the average statistic that um, it's 10 times more powerful than, than heroin is, is, what, is what most people would read online. But sometimes it might be even more potent. Um, right. or less. It really just depends. I've heard so many different cases of overdose. Um, what we see a lot today is many clients who just think that they're using pills and then they come in, they test positive for fentanyl. It happens all the time. Um, you know, I can think of four or five people off the top of my head recently who came in, who we had to let them know, 
hey, like, you, you know, did you know that you were using fentanyl? And they said, I had no idea. They're like, well, right. first of all, they were like, no, I wasn't. I was using uh, Percocet or whatever it may be. And, you know, and then they come to find out that it was then fentanyl. Um, so, I mean, we're seeing a huge uptake in it. I don't think that, um, I think that, you know, being addicted to opiates today is a lot different than it was six years ago. Six years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like that, that's, I got clean uh, coming up on six years and, mm -hmm. you know, I think I made it in just in time because all the people from my neighborhood who I was buying from, using from, like those, they're not around anymore. And, yeah. and it's at just, you know, I think every generation of, of addicts or, or alcoholics or whatever are going to say it's not like it used to be right now, but I, I can't see it getting much worse than it is right now. Um, what do you what do you say? To say so you're Ian is a parent. Ian uh, recently just announced that he's about to have a second child, that he has a beautiful baby girl and now has a son on the way. So congratulations yeah. on that. And Rachel, Thank you. your, your better half. I, I definitely will, will say that with conviction. Um, Opinions. But, <laughs> but, you know, as a parent yourself, um, what do you think about how would you talk to your kids? How are you going to talk to your kids when the time comes? And, and what do you think is the best measure for harm reduction when it comes to this? If you have a kid that, that you, you think might be experimenting or might, want to experiment like where where does harm reduction come in with that you know jason i've thought about this uh many times and i'd say this is that i don't know how i'm going what, what i'm going to do yet um when that time comes um i think you know obviously you know my children are going to know what i do and what, what my wife does she also works in this field and you know it, it's you know, addiction doesn't discriminate. So I'm not going to rule out the fact that my children won't be exposed to drugs and alcohol because I know they will. Because um, I know it's right. I know it's going to happen. And, you know, really is just as far as like, you know, the type of communication, it's really just going to be a lot of education, you know. So my my piece that I'll give and my advice to anybody out there going through this as well would be educate your kids on what's really happening out there not through scare tactics, but just through education. Um, will it immediately change their mind? Will it make them not want to do it? No, but knowing, having, having that knowledge at least gives them the opportunity to make a calculated decision. Um, right. Otherwise, otherwise they're going to be shooting from the hip that first day that somebody offers them something. You know, they're just going to just be like, well, my friends are all doing it, so I might as well. But if they come into it knowing a little more, they I'm not saying that they won't do it. I'm just saying at least they they'll have an idea of what they might be getting themselves into. So, you know, and that's just me shooting from the hip on this right now. I haven't really planned out this discussion. My daughter's two right now, so I'm going to savor the you, uh, you got the a little innocence. while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when, when do you think would be a good age to, to talk to kids about it? <laughs> Nowadays, I mean, it's looking like 11, 10, 11, which is which is which is wild. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah. really, probably probably more into middle school. You know, I mean, I do some I've done some private practice work on the side with middle school students, high school students. I mean, and it's today it's so much different. You know, everybody's got a cell phone and they're all, you know, on social media, seeing this and that, and they go into the bathroom and everybody's vaping and they're all smoking. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's really, I guess, I guess right now, if we want to pinpoint the age, first conversation, sixth grade. Yeah. I mean, that seems like the thinking back, I think that's when I started like smoking cigarettes and probably had my first, uh, puff of weed or whatever and then uh, I, I was a late bloomer though so it was uh there was there was a long gap between between that and my and my use my heavy using years got it so knowing that recovery unplug is a music-based program right um music mm -hmm. does make the difference at recovery unplug how are we using the the music-based treatment with the virtual services so 
in the beginning, it was first just figuring out, okay, um, do we have the ability to share sound? Yes, we do. We can share screen. <laughs> we can share sound. Because that was first. Firstly, is you know, actually the very first, just to give you an idea of how we did our very first pump up in, in virtual, I ran our first group and I pulled out my phone and I played music on my phone right through the speaker, uh, through the microphone on my laptop. And, uh, and we danced, you know, and we did, we did our thing. That was, um, you know, me not having that knowledge yet. But as far as how we're using the music, it's, it's not far off from how we use the music in our other program, in, in, in the in-person program of being using music as a catalyst to engage people. Um, whether that means exercising that person's own creative talents or whether that means having that person identify specific songs um, you know, and experiences that, you know, that can create that anchor, right? Just like a wedding song does, you know, people typically don't remember, don't forget that song because it's significant, it's linked to an experience. We're trying to link music to experiences that people have in treatment. You know, I see somebody, you know, just commented, not everyone could be a musician, but everyone has a favorite song. I agree a thousand percent. Um, that's the thing. You do not have to be a musician to or have musical talent to enjoy yourself at recovery unplugged you just have to like music and like getting treated yeah. with respect definitely treated with respect so I, I was just going to go into my 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 first couple of days at recovery unplugged as a client so uh recovery unplugged was the 20th time that i had gone to treatment i had i had gone to Got treatment it. 19 times 19 times before and I, I will never say anything bad about um the place that i had gone the previous times it was a county run facility in Broward County. I know plenty of people who stayed clean or, or sober going to that facility. Right. Mm -hmm. But my first my first day at Recovery Unplugged, I spent more time with my therapist in that initial conversation that I believe I had I had spent with my therapist at the other place in a 30 day treatment in a, in a, in a whole 30 day time frame. So like one day I'm getting like this personalized attention that I need, like asking me about things and I'm still fucking detoxing. I'm feeling like shit. I'm shaking. I'm throwing up. I'm running to the bathroom every few minutes. And, you know, they put me into a group and, you know, I'm probably a little standoffish just because of, of how I'm feeling physically. Right. And mm -hmm. I remember thinking in my head, like, and, and, and I think this is not uncommon when somebody just comes in on a detox, they think they're going to have the first day off and they could ease into things. <laughs> and that might be the case if, if, you know, you're really rough, but you know, they, they put me into a group and everybody's going around and the therapist didn't ask me to get up there and tell my story and, and make myself completely vulnerable to the group. Um, they asked, is there a song right now that you could play? That's kind of like that, that, that could, could tell us what you're feeling right now and being such a music nerd like i was just like i lit up and i was just like i this place is amazing man and, and like i i, I am 100 being like honest from the heart on this like that day really changed me and it, it was just such a different feeling than everything else and like 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 it would said you don't you don't have to be a musician so i didn't know if i was going to go in there and and have to try to sing my story or or do anything like that but but just to be able to do little things like that play a song give us this lyric what what song brings you back to your childhood what song um do you do you listen to when you're when you're going through something and you need a little boost like that that kind of shit man that 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 changed my life Absolutely. And, and, and we're, and we didn't create this, right. You know, sometimes some of our clients that come in, they're like, listen, I got 16 different Spotify playlists for all my emotions. And, you know, this is something that we're, we're harnessing and being able to link that with experiential group practices to make it even better. You know, I'm going to give you a tiny short story about my first experience with recovery unplugged. Yeah. My very first experience with Recovery Unplugged before I didn't even know it existed. I was working at another treatment center in South Florida and I had a client, I was working with a client and that client um, had been to Recovery Unplugged before. And he always talked about, it. he said like, that's the best place I've ever been and probably will ever go to. 
And I was like, why? What made it so good? He's like, man, the people are just so good there and they and they actually give a shit. And um, and I was like, OK, you know, and I just stored the information. So then the treatment center I work for closed. And then I, I got a call from somebody and they're like, hey, Recovery Unplugged is looking for a therapist. And I was looking for a job. So I was like, you know what? I, I remember that client telling me that. So automatically I was excited about it. And then I get there. And I interview with, um, you know, two of the co-founders because Recovering Plug was very small at this time. It was just one little right. PHP IOP facility in Florida. This is What year was this? 2015. Okay. And I, I go in there, you know, and we're talking about all the stuff and therapist roles, duties, and that's all boring, right? But anyway, the thing that sold me automatically was when – they told me that at the end of the pre-screen admission that, that happens over the phone, they ask a client, what's their favorite a genre of music and what's a song that inspires them to get sober. And then when they go and pick them up from the airport or from wherever, that's playing in the car when they pick them up. And I was like, that's it. Yeah. I'm in. I literally yeah. said the words when, when they said that to me, the interview had already been going pretty well. I literally just told them I'm in, I'm, I'm in it. I'm about it. I, I right, you don't right. need to tell me anything else, just that piece alone, because I was I was so used to working for these large treatment centers that um, not necessarily were bad, but just they just the the focus on individualized care wasn't really there. Where those like let's let's make give this person an individualized special experience, you know, that's tailored yeah. to them, right? Just like you had, and just like many of the clients that come through our program have. That is what made the biggest difference for me was that piece right there. That was the thing that sold me. And then among a million other things. Yeah. And, and I think I came in on a Thursday and then the next day I came in was the feel good Friday with Richie super yep. playing. And, you know, everybody was just, everybody seemed to be, I, I mean, you always have different groups of people. Sometimes they'll, they, they won't be, that great of a group and sometimes everybody will just be really feeling it in a good mood. And I, I think I was just in there with the right group of people for me at that yeah. time. Everybody was like engaged. Everybody was singing along. And like I said, I was still feeling like shit. I was still coming off of, you know, more or less a 20 year opiate run um, with, with a couple of breaks in between. So, you know, I, I was not at my best. I was shaking. I wasn't feeling well. So that, that, that really, really changed my life, man. So, and and um, Nancy said on here, music cares was a huge part of getting me into treatment and yeah. helping me, helping me pay with, uh, with with some of the the financial. So thank you, music cares. Thank you, recovery unplugged. I can't say enough. So Maggie asked, how do you see music impacting people just coming into treatment at any level of care? Um, firstly, it's that story I just told. That's the first time I see it, and then other times, I mean. You know, um, one time I was sitting with a guy who wanted to leave treatment and we're going back and forth for like 45 minutes. And then I looked at, you know, I had my laptop out in front of me and I, and I peeped in his pre-admission and pulled out the song that he wrote down that inspires him. And I uh, literally, while he's right in the middle of talking, I just start playing. It. And, you know, and I just sat back and I, and I shit you not, he just sat there and then sang the song. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously some more talking ensued after that. And then um, and then he decided to stay, you know, but just that song reminded him. He's like, he's like, man, I really needed to hear that to just make sure, you know, to put me back on track, remind me about why I'm doing this. Um, so, I mean, as far as like just coming into treatment, you know, it's sometimes it's a song that, you know, that really inspired them to just start the process in the first place. I mean, the story that's told so many times is one of our, you know, when Recovery Unplugged first became an idea was when our one of our co-founders was working for a drug court, I believe, or DUI court. I'm, I'm not sure the exact details. And he's picking Paul Pellinger up. when he was. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's a great story. So so Paul Pellinger was uh, taking a client from was it to, was it from prison or, or to prison? From I'm prison. trying to remember from prison. From prison. Yeah, and and he just put on the song. Um, what what's the song? It's Marshall I don't know Tucker the band, I, right? The, um, I can't don't, you see? 
what that woman yes. has been doing to me. That song, yes. if anybody could help me out with that song. And and the, the guy in the back seat who was just some real rough, just got out of prison guy, just like broke down, What started telling Paul his life story. And that gave Paul... Um, that gave Paul the initial idea, the incubation in his head to, to start Recovery Unplugged, which has just gone on to save so many lives. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we are, if, if I'm not mistaken, we're, we're expanding a little bit with um, some mental health services too, right? So yeah. some people who are not only struggling with drug and alcohol addiction, but might have depression, anxiety. Um, what are some of the other things that, that we're helping with now? So in our virtual services track, originally this began as just treating primarily substance abuse, which is kind of, you know, um, been our, our main go to, you know, ever since being open is, is focusing on substance abuse and addiction. And then the idea just kind of sprung about to like, you know what, well, let's have a mental health track as well, because what really exists out there for your moderate to high functioning adult? in an outpatient program setting to receive mental health treatment for depression, anxiety, PTSD, bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, these things where people are struggling with this and they need something a little bit more intensive than a one-on-one -on -one therapy session each week and working with a psychiatrist once a month. It's not enough for some people. And unfortunately, the only thing that's really out there doing what, what, what this is, is, you know, most things if somebody looked up mental health program it's typically going to be at a hospital and, and it's and it's not me saying that those programs aren't good or it's not good enough but typically you're going to be in there with a lot of people that just got out of the psych unit who are probably experiencing a little bit more acute or severe mental health issues rather than your moderate to high functioning adult you know in our mental health program right now we have people we have mothers we have fathers we have students we have nurses i mean we have people who i mean are you know very high functioning on the outside but on the inside are still struggling and they're still struggling with pain depression anxiety that they're trying to deal with and and it's like you know and here's the other thing let's go back to that the benefits of virtual let's just talk about the stigma alone of mental health right. i mean the stigma alone of like oh well you have a therapist right um, well, you know, and then they're like, well, no, no, it's not a therapist. It's a life coach, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> it's a lot of people today aren't really willing to admit that they're in therapy. So this is, this allows people, we're not trying to help people hide their problems. Right. Right. But this is allowing people to access the help they need from the comfort of their own home without taking time off from work, without having to worry about transportation, without having to worry about uh, child care, elder care, whatever it may be to be able to hop online and be able to access that group therapy setting that they typically wouldn't have received before. We have people that are coming into this mental health program that have never been in group therapy in their life and are saying, wow, this is really what I needed. And, and how long, how long has the virtual services been going on for now? Um, you know, Jason, I'm a therapist, not a mathematician, but since July of, of 20, of 2021. So, <laughs> Ugh, what is that? Five, That's good enough. That's good enough. Three, eight months. Eight months. That was good. You're quick. Not bad. That, that was much... that wasn't bad. Yeah. Oh, so right. And, and have you seen it at working for people? Is it something that you see? Um... Yeah. I mean, you know, at first. You know, of course, there's always that initial doubt, but that's with anything in life that we all experience when we're doing something new. We're going to be like, is this going to work? Are people going to like it? Right. It's just like, you know, it's just like any person that walks into a crowded room. Are people going to like me? So, right. of course, there was that initial doubt. And then as it was going, the average length of stay that we're seeing is somewhere around eight weeks. And then typically what most insurance companies are offering people to, to complete is about 10 weeks. And we have had many, many people over the last eight months complete 10 weeks of services, 10 week commitment of group therapy, individual therapy, psychiatric services, case management. There's a lot more services that they're getting than just the therapy piece. This is really, you know, we're trying to create a wraparound service um, for our clients. 
So I mean, right. long answer yes, or short answer. Long yes. answer yes. <laughs> long answer. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad they align. Yes. I'm glad they. Ian, lean in towards your name. Put your shoulder towards the, uh, all the way to the side. Oh, other well, we way. talked other earlier way. about how when I move this way, other way, the other, other way. way. Yeah. I got to pinch you, man. It's St. Patrick's Day. Ugh. Oh. And uh-huh. you are not wearing green, man. You were you were just begging oh. for that. What do you think? You know, what am I thinking? I'll tell you this. You know, growing <laughs> up having a red beard, Jason. You know, um, I think I think the, okay. the leprechaun comments just stopped. You know, just just recently. You know, and then, you know, and just when I put on a green shirt, it automatically just I look in the mirror and I just want to go find my lucky charms. You know, so it's a little weird. Yeah, well, that that never popped <laughs> into my head. So maybe that's something you need to work on. Maybe some virtual services might help with that. <laughs> well, you James, know. what's up, James? There he is. Therapist from Lake Worth. Good to see you, man. It's been a James while. James Cody. Seen this guy come a long way. He was an intern with Recovery Unplugged at first and then got hired. I remember. He's been with us for quite a while now. Congrats, James. Yeah. Good to see you on here. Yeah, man. I remember just uh, and, when he was uh, just fill, fill, remember when he was just filling up the five pods. He was just filling up the uh, the MP3 mm-hmm. players with music. And now look at him running shit. Congratulations, James. Good to see you. So we're running out of time here. Um, do you do you have anything that you'd like to close with to 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 everybody out there? Uh, I guess it's rapid fire question time. Sorry. Okay. Hit, hit me with hit question. me with something. Are you ready for Come this? On. Please. All right. Summer or winter time, and why? Summer, just because it's better. No, sorry. Incorrect. Fair. Correct answer Fine. is winter. We have Christmas. We have you can wear sweaters. Okay. All right. Debatable. Uh, Beatles or the Stones? Beatles. Hands down. Again, wrong answer. The correct answer would be why mm-hmm. do I have to choose? They're both great bands. Ooh. Okay. All right. Well said. Uh, all right. And and finally, burgers or tacos? I'm I'm gonna go with my my gut. Is, is telling me burgers and but okay, I, well, I'd love to hear your input on this one well I, I I am of Mexican descent so of course I'm gonna say tacos but that one I was I was leaving that that one was was uh, up to you there was no wrong answer to that one so that one was was we'll, we'll give you that one by default I appreciate that I appreciate that 33% a lot of room for improvement <laughs> My mom said both. All right. So any, any, <laughs> any, uh, one more thing that we always like to ask. So what is Ian's song? If Ian's having a bad day, um, things aren't going, going that well. What, what's the one song that you turn on? Maybe you're going to the gym, you're going to, to, to play golf and just, mm-hmm. just going to, what are you listening to? You know, it's it's been changing so much for me lately um you know i'd say one of the most impactful songs in my life is third eye blind jumper it just it's just um and we won't go into the whole story just just really a uh resonates and then as far as what gets me going ah you know there's so many but um you know i'm gonna be honest lately it's been lil nas x Nice. You might not have seen like that coming. No, no, I didn't. I like the mix up. Now I know. I know that you have really, really vast taste in in, in music. You, mm-hmm. you, you like everything. And let me tell you, everybody out there, you have not lived until you've hear, heard Ian sing "Crazy" by Gnarls Barkley, or <laughs> for the longest time by Billy Joel. I've I, I've had the Ooh. pleasure the distinct pleasure to hear mm-hmm. Ian belt out both of those numbers. And I, I mean, I think that's what that that's that's why i'm clean today (laughs) i owe it i owe it all to that i didn't know that anybody remembered the the gnarls barkley one i know the other one was a a little bit i don't know you were there that day i blacked out when it happened you know i mean it just i was in the zone from hitting all those notes right i if you say so i'm not even going to ask you to elaborate on that all right, man. It's been such a pleasure, Ian. Do you have any uh, any closing statements to maybe somebody out there who's still struggling? Um, I'd say this is that, you know, there is hope. 
um, because I've just it's something that I've seen every single day, and I'm very confident to say that I know that we can and somebody else can also help you as well. It's not just us. There's a lot of people out there doing the right thing. Um, I love what we do here, and it's not just the music that makes us different. We truly treat people with respect and love, and that is um, our number one goal. And um, and there's a bunch of other really cool shit that we do at Recovery Unplugged, but um, but num- as number one, you will be respected. Uh, and I, I could attest to that. That is 100% accurate. Thank you again, Ian. Uh, for me, Jason, me, Jason Cabello, behind the scenes, Greg and Joseph Gorordo, who is out there enjoying South by Southwest. Thank you all for tuning in. And remember, there's a thousand ways in and a thousand ways out. So we hope you find your way. Tune in next week. Thank you all.